The one truly worshiping God exercises wisdom and grows as a result. The one truly worshiping exercises wisdom. And as they exercise that wisdom, they grow. As it would be foolish for someone who has started a business to show no profit and say that the business is growing and it's well. Well, how much did you make last week? A dollar. How much did you make this week? A dollar. How's business going? Great. Something's wrong. Has the assets grown? No. Well, what is growing? What is growing? Nothing. Then how can you say? If you are growing in Christ, if 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 your worship is true, then there should be some growth, there should be some change. Many of people say. I'm growing in God. Great. What has changed? Nothing. People, growth necessarily entails change. If you have not changed, you have not grown. James begins to teach. And he begins to impart the wisdom of God. And as we go throughout the points, and there are five points of wisdom that I want to, to highlight in the text, he's encouraging some change. He's educating. And as we go through, it's tough. It's not easy. It takes humility. And it definitely takes the Holy Spirit. Let us begin. James chapter 1 verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. That means to heed. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And here's the first point. The growing Christian thinks before he speaks when criticized. As we'll see, this, 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 this command is given within the context of someone approaching another person and giving some sort of correction. In that context, you ought to be quick to hear, to listen, to heed. There is a, a Roman proverb that states, it is correct to learn even from your enemies. Quick to hear, to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's painting a picture to where someone is is there and they're being corrected. They're being criticized. and, And he's saying, listen, don't cut them off. Slow to speak. Before they can even get it out, you're giving your counterpoints. Without listening to what they're saying, not only are you giving your counterpoints, you're getting angry. How dare they? 
are they to correct me? Even if they're wrong, James says, be quick to listen. Weigh what they say. They could be way out left field, left field. Just listen. Listen. Which begs the question, when someone corrects us, do we listen? Or do we sit and weigh what's being said? Is there an emotional response of anger? Who are they? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And as you, James is saying, as you continue your growth on Christianity, in Christianity, your growth will be directly tied to your ability to take correction. Your growth in Christ will be directly proportionate to how well you take criticism or do you get angry and shut them off? Can you learn? Or are you so prideful that anger oftentimes hides what people are trying to tell you? Anger many times hides many, many flaws. Anger rises up from the foundation of pride and blinds us to sometimes godly counsel, loving correction. Are people jerks sometimes? Yeah. Do they come at you at wrong times, wrong ways, with venom in their heart? Of course. But the man, the woman who's humble enough to take correction, even if they're wrong, be very careful when anger pops up, when someone's trying to correct you. Think before you speak. And if anger is coming up, even if they're wrong, ask the question why. Why? But know this, anger, anger when criticized does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Verse 24, therefore, put away all filthiness, which is vulgarity. So if someone comes to you, talk to you about your speech, listen. Put away all Filthiness and rampant, excess of superficial talk. Put it away. Rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. When someone comes to you, shares a scripture that could possibly help you in your growth, take it. Quick to hear. You don't have to listen to everything everyone says, but at least you can hear it. And be honest with yourself. 
Look in the mirror and ask the honest question, am I the type of person to get angry when corrected? Or can I sit and listen with an ear that maybe I need to grow in this area that this person is talking to me? I know they're yelling at me. I know their, their tone of voice is not the best. Matter of fact, I think there, there's some venom in their talk. But let me practice humility and let me at least listen. 99% of it may be junk. But I might learn from the 1% that this crazy person is shouting at me. Can you do that? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's talking to believers, not save your soul as it relates to damnation. But save in a sense of healing. Save your souls from anxiety and depression and, and, and all these other things. Maybe there's something in you that, that's causing these things. And maybe if you can listen and be humble, maybe you can learn something. Maybe it can save your soul and heal it. The first point, the growing Christian thinks before he speaks when criticized. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here's the second point. The growing Christian allows the word of God to change his behavior. When you read the scriptures, do you say, oh, that's interesting. That even sounds good. Or do you read with the intent of obeying? Do you read the scriptures and say, what are the implications of what I just read? And how should my thinking change? How should my behavior change? Not, oh, that sounds really good. What I heard was really eloquent. I really like the way James put that. I like the way John said it that way. Wow, Moses was a great writer. I love the way Genesis reads. No. Read the Bible in such a way as what are the implications on my life and how should I change? How can I be a doer of the word? How does what I just read changes my schedule? Changes what I watch on television? Changes what music I hear? Changes the books I read? The shops I visit? the people I hang out with. How does the word of God change me? It's not designed to tickle our ears. 
It is written with the intent of obeying. Growth necessarily entails change. If there's no change, if you were doing the same thing today you did a year ago, then by definition, you have not grown in a year. But the end of that verse reveals something very, very sad about each and every one of us. The implication being if you hear only and you don't do, you are practicing self-deception. We are so good, so good at deceiving ourselves. We can't point to any change in our behavior, change in our thoughts, but we can convince ourselves we've grown. Our time is spent the exact same way. Movies haven't changed. Thoughts haven't changed, but somehow we are growing. Really? It's impossible. It's impossible. As I've said before, I could always tell when I used to counsel in the hospital when people were being checked out, the psychiatric unit. You had to ask a question. What's going to be different this time? The behaviors you were involved in that brought you here, what's going to be different this time? And I could always tell who would be back. Because when I asked that question, they would look at me with a blank face. They had no clue what they were going to do differently. And I knew I would see them again. They'll be back. We here at New Hope believe in discipleship and relationships because deception flourishes when we isolate ourselves. If I can go home and live however I want, Monday through Saturday, then come here on Sunday and shake hands, say kind words, but then go home and be accountable to no one, be engaged with no one, then I can deceive myself and I can tell myself all types of things because I'm not in Christian relationships to test whether or not my patience has grown. To test whether or not my love is more fervent. We're good, and if we are honest with ourselves, we are good at deceiving ourselves. We're good. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. On the flip side, verse 25, but the one who looks, the term there means to stoop and to look observantly. 
the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He switches from one who, 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 who is deceived by not being a doer to verse 25. Here's the third point of wisdom. The growing Christian practices self-evaluation. He looks into the mirror. He looks intently of who he is. And he uses the analogy of someone who looks in the mirror with the intent to, uh, how can I say, pretty themselves or doll themselves up. I used to not look into a mirror at all. But now I look into a mirror. I might see those gray hairs coming in. I know it's time to shave. Because we can't have the gray hairs coming in. He uses the example. When you look in a mirror, because most of us want to put our best physical face to the world, we look intently. And if there's a flaw, we put a little blush here, a little foundation there. We shave here. Shave the eyebrows here. Fix the lining here because we want to look good to people. And so we look very meticulously. James says you should do that with your souls. Do you look into the mirror with the intent to make your soul prettier? To fix the flaws that are on the inside? Or when the flaws come, you you ponder it for a second or two and then you forget. So-and-so said I should work on this. Okay, I'll think about it. And as soon as they go, it's out of sight, out of mind. Forgets. It's that type of person who does not practice self-evaluation. He doesn't look into the spiritual mirror to see what's wrong, to see where the flaws are, to see what's holding him back to see what's holding her back from worshiping God to the best of their ability. They deceive themselves. They're hearers of the word. They're not doers. And they spend no time in prayer. Praying, Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, they'll do it. They don't do it. Verse 25, we should be the person who looks into the perfect law. The law of liberty, the law that can set us free from the chains of sin. Apply the word of God that can bring healing to the soul. That only comes when we look intently into the law. We attend Bible study. We are engaged in discipleship. We spend time with our brothers and sisters. We can take criticism. We invite criticism. 
we had a meeting Friday night talking about discipleship and someone in there, I don't want to put him on a spot, at one point he looks at the others in the room and he says, hey, if there's anything wrong with me that you see, I give you permission, let me know. If you see me doing wrong, correct me. Help me grow. The end of verse 25, he will be blessed in his doing. If you take care of the flaws in the mirror, it's a lot easier when other people come to you. The growing Christian practice of self-evaluation. Look at 26, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives... His heart, this person's religion is worthless. He kind of throws that in the mix of everything. Here's the fourth point. The inability to control the tongue is a sign of self-deception. The inability to control the tongue. James said it, not me. You let one slip here and let one slip there and, oh my God, where did that come from? First of all, you shouldn't be saying, oh my God, but where did that come from? That's an inability to control your tongue. Maybe you're not as far along as you think you are. And it's not only, not only curses that you got to watch out with. If you can't control your tongue and find yourself speaking about someone who's not in the room, In a derogatory way, with no intent to helping that person, that's called gossip. And your tongue is being used, the devil. I've met some people, can't stop gossiping. Love to talk about other people. When you get angry, you tend to lash out. And if someone cuts you down verbally, then I'm going to cut them down back. And I can't seem to help it. You talk to me, I'm going to talk to you. How about this? When you are driving in your car and they cut you off. tongue is used to belittle others call them out of their names and you can't seem to help it James says maybe you're not as long as far along the Christian road as you think you are bridle the tongue use it the way God intends it to be used Do we all slip up? Of, of, of course we do. Of course we do. What he's talking about uh, is the slip up that happens on a regular basis. And if that happens, then it ain't a slip up. It's who you are. The inability to control the tongue. 
as a sign of self-deception. The growing Christian practices self-evaluation. The growing Christian allows the word of God to change his or her behavior. And the growing Christian thinks before he speaks when criticized. Here's the last one, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, is this. To visit or to care for, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here's the fifth point. The growing Christian is mature when he focuses on giving and not getting. Giving and not getting. Why is that so? What can orphans and widows give you back when you give them money, time, and love? Many a times, nothing. Nothing. How many people would love to give, uh, have a ministry to the rich and the famous? I'm going to go witness to who? Uh, who's famous now? Uh, St- Stephen Curry. I want to have a witness to, to witness to NBA players and NFL players. That's my calling. No, you want to hobnob with the rich and famous. That's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. You're going to pass up the people who are hurting at the motels and the homeless people. You're going to pass them up on the way to your ministry to the governors and the representatives and the politicians and the famous people. He'll pick up that line of thought in in chapter 2 of James when he talks about you showing partiality to the rich man. He'll pick that thought up. But, But in verse 27, the religion that is pure, the religion that God loves, is when you give of yourself, of your time, of your treasure, and expect nothing back. Visit the orphans and the widows, the people that the other Christians don't want to deal with. Love the people that if you love them and the Lord uses you to bring them to Christ, you won't be on a newspaper. You won't make headlines. And, you know, it's sort of bittersweet. I guess the reason why I use Stephen Curry, because I guess when they won the NBA championship, there were articles about him and, and saying that he's a, he's a brother in the Lord. I'm happy. If he truly is, that's great. The MVP of the NBA is a Christian. Wonderful. But why is he any more deserving of a headline than a homeless person that comes to Christ? As a society, we tend to raise these people up and want to write articles about them. No, no, no. The implication being, as you go on in chapter 2, if you have that mindset, then you have been influenced by the world. You want to hobnob with the rich and the famous. And here's another thing. I, 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 I'm sorry, I got to say it. When quote-unquote pastors on TV 
yucking it up with Oprah and the other quote-unquote celebrities? I got a problem with that. I got a big problem with that. Why would someone want to hobnob and rub elbows with a group of people who are chiefly responsible for defaming your Lord? He says that in chapter 2. What is it with you who want to run with the very people who deny Jesus? If you have that mindset, you are stained by the world. You're dirty. As I wrap up Philippians uh, 2, you don't have to change that, but Philippians 2, chapter 2, 3, and, uh, 3 4, and 5, do nothing from, from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, the orphan and the widow who have nothing to give. If you love them, visit them, care for them. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, which is in yours in Christ Jesus. The mature Christian witnesses, ministers, gives and doesn't expect a headline from it. The mature Christian loves and gives and is not upset when he's not acknowledged before men. The ability to love and the ability to give and not be upset because you didn't get anything from it. Now that's maturity. That's Christ-like. That's godly. And he uses this example of the orphans and the widows. That's pure religion. That's godly. That's what I want. Because while the Tribune and the Sun Times, they won't acknowledge it. I see it. And the world may herald when some star makes a profession of faith. But I see the homeless, the prostitute, the pimp. I see the orphan and the widow. I see them all. And I honor that. Next week in James chapter 2, he starts to unveil the, 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 the evil. The evil. When the church starts to elevate heroes of the world in their midst. He calls it sin and he calls it evil. That's for next week. As we continue to go through the book of James... He's imparting wisdom on how to live right before God. How to please God. I hope we have the ears to listen. 
And I hope as we continue through James, our ears are not tickled, but our behavior actually changes. And then we as a congregation, we practice to be doers of the word and not just hearers. Let us pray.